Absolutely. I always like the part in that song that the song starts out right. I was wrong and he was right. He was right and I was wrong. And that is the beginning of a relationship with God. Amen? As from last Sunday night, that is a uh, biblical definition of repentance. It's, uh, Lord, I've been wrong and you are right, but I can't fix myself. So I come to you. I believe in you. I trust in you. Because I am wrong and you are right and I can't save myself. So by faith you go to him because you can't. Amen? Amen. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Mark chapter 1 verse 15. Amen? Let's do verse 16 now. Mark chapter number 1 and verse number 16. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 16. I want to uh, encourage our other young people. I encourage my children tonight that to start... Uh, First of all, bring your Bible with you. I would encourage your young people to bring your Bibles and start being able to uh, hear the book of the Bible, turn to the chapter in the Bible, and then find the verse in the Bible. And I want to encourage you to do that. And parents, I want to encourage you to help them do that and to get used to them doing that. Uh, we want them doing that the rest of their lives. Amen? Taking the Bible, finding the, ch- the book, the chapter, and the verse, and uh, they'll start getting familiar with the Bible, and sometimes we take it for granted, but we started getting familiar with Scripture when we were young, young, sitting in our family pew. So I would encourage you to do that, encourage your kids to bring their Bible and turn in their Bibles, and, uh, and I know that they'll be blessed for it, and they, they'll grow by it. Mark chapter 1, verse number... 16. If you're there, say amen. I'm going to read to verse number 20. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they, for they were fishers, or fishermen. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the ship with the hired servants, and went after him. So they were on the job, and they left, and followed, and went after Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this night, and thank you, Lord, that we could continue the preaching through the book of Mark. Lord, we are glad you're leading us and you're leading the pulpit. And Lord, we're thankful for that. And Lord, we pray that you'll be glorified tonight. And Lord, your word would be preached as you would have it to be. And Lord, we pray that your, your word will be the word of God, that the preaching will align with the word of God And Lord, that we can receive it as the Word of God in our lives. Help us, Lord, to hear it, to do it, and to receive it. And God, we pray you'll do a work today that, God, that you can only get the credit for and you can only accomplish it. For without you, we are nothing. Bless our church by your Word. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. So last Sunday night, we we took verse 14 and 15. And the message of the Gospel from the very beginning is the first sermon Jesus preached was a sermon about repentance and faith. And he called us to repent. That's what he's preaching in Galilee. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the gospel. 
So in verse number 16, Jesus, by the time we get there, Jesus has already been preaching. We don't really know how long he's been preaching, but we do know he had been preaching in Galilee because that's what, that's what the text says in verse number 14 of chapter 1. And so in verse number 16, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. So he spent some time there. He's been preaching there. And because we know it's probably more than a sermon because in verse 14 the word preaching is used. And so it's, it's, it's possible he's preached at length here. In verse number 16, we have his first encounter with his four disciples that he's calling in our passage. Two pairs of brothers. We have Simon or Peter and his brother Andrew, and then another set of brothers, James and John, the son of Zebedee. But I want you to notice in verse 16 what, what I call the call of Christ. And if you remember some months back, I preached a sermon about the call of Christ, I believe, and we used a passage from the book of Matthew, for, or about Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, and how Jesus said, follow me, and the Bible says immediately he left the receipt of custom and followed Jesus in the way. So he quit tax collecting and just followed after Jesus. This call of Christ is happening in the lives of Peter and Andrew, or Simon at this point, in verse 16, and verse number 19, the lives of James and John. It is the call of Christ. So they've, been, they've probably been listening to Jesus preach. They've probably heard Jesus preach. They've heard it with their ears. They've listened to what he had to say. But now Jesus comes to them personally. And he personally invites them to follow me. Now, when he's inviting them to following me, it's synonymous with the same way that Jesus deals with you at your conversion, if you're a Christian, was like that. Jesus called you to follow after him. And so you're forsaking your nets, you're repenting, and you're believing the gospel and following Jesus. Now, that's, it's pretty hard in Scripture to try to find someone who is a Christian and who is not following Jesus in some way. You can't separate the two. Christians follow Jesus. That's what they do. And it's, you're, you're going to have a hard time finding anywhere in the New Testament where someone is a professing Christian who is a real Christian and also is not also following Jesus. And so we have an, immediately we have an example in the New Testament that someone believes on Jesus and follows him on the way. Now this is not perfectly no one follows Jesus perfectly. And we know through the lives of these four apostles throughout the New Testament that they come short of Jesus' mission often. Often they don't get it. Many times they don't understand what Jesus is even saying. Some of the things that Jesus says, they have a hard time even believing. And some of the things that Jesus said, they completely forgot altogether. I mean like major gospel themes that just went over their head. Sounds like you and I, don't it? I mean, Jesus even told them, I'm going to be crucified, and Peter wasn't hearing it. He also told them that I'm going to arise from the dead, and they forgot all about this. The enemies didn't forget, but his disciples forgot. And so they're following Jesus, but they also do it imperfectly. So don't get discouraged if your walk with Jesus isn't what you want it to be, but be encouraged if you are following Jesus. That brings evidence that you really have repented and you've believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this call of Christ, 
So they've been listening to Jesus preach. Galilee isn't a very big place. It's a very small fisherman community. And Jesus is preaching a message that is contrary to the cultural norm. I mean, he's saying things that they're not used to hearing. Next Sunday night, will it be the Sunday night after that, probably. The Bible says, and Mark says, that he spoke as one who had authority, not as the scribe. So there is a distinct, noticeable difference in the preaching of Jesus versus the religious leaders of his age. So these disciples, they know about Jesus. They probably, we could probably pretty confidently say they've listened to a few sermons Jesus had to preach. They've heard Jesus' voice. But it wasn't until this call was personal that Jesus comes to them in a personal way that it had the impact on their life so much so that they forsook their nets and followed Jesus. So this call, they heard this before. They heard the sermons They heard the sermons, but then there was a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Do you see it? And this personal encounter with Christ, theologians call this call, it is an effectual call. It it is something that is personal to you. It's no longer just a general hearing of the gospel. It's, It's not just I was in the room while the gospel was preached it's, it's not just, yeah, I heard John 3.16. But this call, that, and these four disciples are given an example of this, the call of Christ that they forsook their nets for was a personal call. It, is, it was so personal that it was so specific that they didn't know everything that was going to happen. They didn't know anything, granted, Rather, they didn't know any, they didn't know where they was going, they didn't know what Jesus wanted out of their lives, but this personal invitation to follow Jesus was so effectual that it made them, caused them to give up their life and follow Jesus in the way. Now, this call, this is it's 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 the John 6 call. Where, where Jesus says, unless my Father draw you, you will never come to me in salvation. We, we know this as a, in our lives as a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That this, this is a call that we, yeah, we, there was a time we heard the gospel, but Christians can also testify there was a time when this call in my life was not only I heard it in my ears, it was what we know as an inward call. It was a call that the heart understood. It was a call that the soul understood. It, it was a call in our lives that we knew when it was happening to us. We heard the gospel before. We heard sermons before. We sat in Sunday school rooms before. We sat through Bible school. But then there was a day when it got personal, didn't it? There was a day when you began to hear it. There was a moment in your life, you say, really? Because if that didn't happen... If that didn't happen, you would never come to Jesus. You would hide in the crowd. You you would just listen with your ears. But thank God, He drew you by His Holy Spirit and he, he, He called you unto Himself and you repented and believed the Gospel. Do you remember that? We, we know that in here in Appalachia as Holy Ghost conviction of God, don't we? That's what we call it. We say, I was under conviction. 
What you was happening to you is that you were under the gospel call. It, it wasn't just with your ears anymore. It was an inward thing, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was your heart. It was your soul. It, it was Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit was dealing with you on a personal level. I've heard it said this way before. I thought the preacher was preaching to me. I thought... I thought that the preacher, that there was nobody else in the building, and the whole sermon was about me. Well, it was, really. And what's awesome about that, I've heard that before, and I have no idea of it at all. What's happening is, is that God the Holy Spirit is taking the Word of God, and it is mixed with power. There was something happening And the Holy Spirit is taking the Word of God and it's penetrating beyond your physical ears and you begin to hear it in your heart. And that's a personal call. There is a a call that all of us hear with our ears. But for those who... Then there is an inward call. And thank God if you've heard that call and you've responded to that call and you've said yes to Jesus... And you repented and believed the gospel. We know that is now what being born again. And we sing about it all the time, don't we? We sing about how that he drew me and he called me and he worked on me and he was, he was after me. Some of you have said that. Some of you say that, thank God that he, I, he wouldn't let me get away. You've said that, haven't you? Some of you said, I was sitting in them pews and my heart was beating out of my chest and my hands were getting sweaty and I, I knew it was me, I knew it was me. And you've said, the moment I walked down the aisle, I knew from that point on my life would never be the same. You know what was happening? You responded to the call of Christ in your life. Amen? Jesus did that. And isn't that a precious, amazing thing that God would go past your ears and into your heart. And he says, and you know it's him talking because, and I often say this, people say, well, I, I've heard a voice from God. Listen, I, I've, I'm not, I've not heard a voice from God with my ears because I might think Jason said something or I might think Pete said something. But when God speaks in the soul, in the quietness of the soul, he speaks to you and it is no misunderstanding who that is. Because Jason can't speak to my soul. And Bryson can't speak to my soul. But the Lord can. The Lord can. I was a little fella, young. And praise God, Jesus was saying to my heart, I want you to come to me. <laughs> me? Yeah, like the woman, I often think about her in the book of Luke where she was bowed down together with an infirmity. Lo, these 18 years, the Bible says. And she snuck in the back row of the synagogue. She'd probably come in late because she was embarrassed about her infirmities. And Jesus spoke through the crowd and He says, Hey, I want you to come to Me. And I remember that day that He called Me. He says, I want you to come to Me. I had no idea where I was going, but I know who I was going to. I had no idea what was going to happen from that day on. You know what? I could care less because that call in my life to be saved, I could care less where I went from that day on. Amen? All I knew is I wanted Jesus so bad. I wanted Him as my Savior. 
And that's the call, amen? So these apostles, they had heard Jesus preaching, but now Jesus goes to them and he says, hey, I know, Jason, you've been listening, but I want you, I want you to come to me. I know, Brittany, you've been in the congregation listening, but there was a day, wasn't it, when you was 11 years old, and Jesus said, yes, Brittany, you've been listening, you've come to Bible schools, you've went, to, you've went here, you went there, but now I want you. And that's what happened. It is a personal encounter with Christ. And unless you have a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. You say, really? Yeah, because you know what a Christian is? A Christian is someone that has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And how in the world can you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ if you've not encountered Christ personally? And I'm not talking about fireworks. We've heard amazing testimonies through the years. And I've heard testimonies, to be honest with you, I think that really isn't that significant, humanly speaking. But everybody is saved the same way. Everybody is. We might be fishermen, we might be tax collectors, we might have been church persecutors, we might have been political zealots like some of the apostles were, but all of them who knew Jesus came the same way, through faith and repentance. Amen? The call of Christ. And so Jesus will have a people, and that's what he's doing. So we have the beginning of it in Mark chapter number 1. Jesus is gathering together a people. He's gathering his flock together. That's what he's doing. Jesus is beginning to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's what the Lord Jesus is doing. Because he's not going to preach without a congregation. And a preacher's got to have a congregation. And a a Messiah has to have followers. and, And a teacher has to have students. And Jesus didn't come so bankers could get rich. He didn't come so people would never get physically sick. No, he came to gather people unto himself. That's what Jesus is doing. And you know, he's still doing that. He's still doing it. In John chapter number 10, Jesus, the Word of God says this. John chapter 10, verse number number 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. He's talking about me and you. There's other people who are going to follow me that aren't following me now. I got, yeah, I got, I, got, I got Peter, I got Andrew, I got James, and I got John. But you know what? I'm going to get Bryson too. That's amazing, ain't it? I'm going to get Virginia. Yep, I'm going to have Peter and Andrew and James and John and Nikki. I'm after her too, and Pete. And I'm not going to stop until I gather my fold. I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm glad of that, aren't you? And so he said, I got sheep that are not of this fold. What he's saying, look, I got people around me, but I'm hunting sheep. I'm looking looking after the one that was lost. I'm going to leave the 99 that I have gathered up, and I'm going to keep going back for more. And I'm going to seek and save that which was lost, and when I find that one little lost sheep, I'm going to put it on my shoulders, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to say, looky here, church, I found another one, my sheep that was lost, and now it's found, rejoice with me. And that's what Jesus is doing right now. And tonight, on a Sunday night, what is it, August the 13th, 
You might think you're a little lost lamb. And Jesus is inside right now, your heart. The Holy Spirit is saying, that's you. You're the one. Jesus is after you. Why don't you come to Jesus and be saved? Why don't you believe on him? Why don't you repent from your own ways? Why don't you admit that you were wrong and he is right? You know who's telling you that? It's not the devil. Jesus is. The Holy Ghost is. He never speaks of himself. He always speaks of Christ. And tonight, if you're that little lost lamb, Jesus is looking for you. Isn't that awesome? Maybe it's not the shores of Galilee. Maybe it's the shores of the Tennessee River. And yet he still seeks. He's still looking for those who'll come to him. Will you have Jesus? Will you have him in your life? Will you receive Jesus? And Jesus said, I'm... I lay down my life for the sheep, and the sheep I have which are not this fold, them also I must bring, Jesus said, and they shall hear my, what? They shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Here's my testimony. This is the testimony of every Christian. I had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Really? Yeah, because he lives that's why. And his word spoke to my heart. And I was a little lost lamb going my own way, choosing my own life. And he said, Joshua. And I heard his call. He said, you come to me. And so, well, I can't get to where you're at. You know what really happened, don't you? Jesus came to me. He did. Jesus will have a people. Will you be his people? Jesus is a shepherd. He'll have a flock. Will you be in his flock? It's a good question, isn't it? He's a good shepherd. Peter said he's the chief shepherd. David said he's the shepherd that walks with you through the valley of death. Will you be in his flock? So these are his first disciples. Notice that they're ordinary men. They're rather ordinary. And more often than not, God calls people as they labor. And these ordinary guys were just laboring along. They were fishermen. And the Lord, I guess, knew that even liars needed to be saved because they were fishermen. And most fishermen are liars. Amen? It didn't take, did it? They are. You might not know that. And so these fishermen are ordinary. They have an ordinary trade. They're working men. They're working people. And you notice all throughout the scriptures, when God calls someone for a special work, he always calls people who are already working, it seems. Remember, Elisha was, was, was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. I mean, David was tending his father's sheep. Moses was shepherding the, his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. Amos was a, was a herdsman. Uh, we find this all throughout scriptures. Levi was a tax collector. And these guys were fishermen. Because you know why? If you're going to do something for God, he can't use lazy people. He can't. So don't be lazy for Jesus. And so we find these ordinary guys. And more often than not, God does special things with ordinary people. And he does that so his name will be glorified through their ordinary lives. 
And the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians, verse chapter 1, verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. Not many... I'm just an ordinary person, and you all are ordinary people, best I can tell. Amen? And even the poor are rich in faith. And rich people have a hard time coming to Jesus because they don't see anything wrong with their lives. And Jesus makes a habit of calling ordinary people. And so tonight you might think that my case is extraordinary, but you look pretty ordinary to me. And Jesus, who is extraordinary, calls ordinary people to come to him that he might do extraordinary things through their ordinary lives. So you might think, well, I'm ordinary. I can't do nothing for Jesus. You're exactly who he's looking for. He wants ordinary, run-of-the-mill, boring people. Not many wise. You say, well, I'm not smart. He'll take you. You say, well, I'm not very famous. Not many noble. Well, great. He'll take you. Because it's about him and it's not about you. And if you think, well, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing, you're exactly who he's looking for. He wants nobodies and he wants nothings. He wants failures. He wants people that's made a million mistakes. He wants people that are ashamed of their lives and people that live boring lives. He wants people like you and people like me. Amen? He's looking for a, she- he's looking for a sheepfold. He's a shepherd and he's looking for you. Amen? Ordinary sheep. God's chosen the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. He's chosen the base things of the world, the things which are despised. God hath chosen. God does this, why? Verse 31, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So what's Jesus doing? Why is he calling the ordinary people? So ordinary people's lives can do extraordinary things that the power of Christ might be glorified that he can do something amazing with ordinary people. And that's who Jesus is looking for. I was thinking today, this afternoon, and I found it. Acts chapter number 4. The Bible says, after they arrested, after they arrested Peter, and he was preaching before the Sanhedrin. And remember, this is the right afterwards Peter said, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other than name given under heaven, given among men whereby men must be saved. And then here's what they said about this ordinary fisherman. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They're like, is this the uneducated fisherman who standing before educated and prominent men? And he's telling them that they need to repent? And he's telling them that they need to believe the gospel? And he's doing it with some sense of confidence and authority? as if he's in a position to tell them that. He's doing it in some way that they are listening to him. They have some sense of power, and they're just ordinary people. Yeah, it's not their power. It's the power of Christ that's in them. It's not their words. It's the power of the living God. It's not their strength. They would much rather glory in their infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon them. They once were cowards and now they're not. What do they know about Jesus? They say, well, I know him. I don't know anything, but I know Jesus. And because they know Jesus, the world is in awe of their authority and knowledge and confidence. What is with these people? They had been with Jesus. Jesus makes a difference in people's lives. Do you see it? Do you see what Jesus does to four ordinary people? Four nobodies. But when Jesus, Jesus says, when I get done with them, 
these unlearned and ignorant men are going to turn the world upside down. Why? So we'll think much of Peter? No, we'll think much of Jesus. We'll think much of him. Hey, God wants to do something with your life. Are you listening? He wants to do something with your life. And he wants to call you from an ordinary, boring, usual life. And he wants to do great things by his name through your ordinary name. And if you'll just do it, listen to me, if you'll just do it and forsake your life and follow Jesus, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world and lose your soul? I mean, if you want something worthwhile in your life, just surrender to Jesus Christ. I mean, just see what happens. He'll take care of you. I mean, it's not like it's even a great risk. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll go with you all the way even into the end of the world. You're not even jumping out on a limb. It's not like I hope he takes care of me. He will take care of you. And he'll do something amazing. And at the end of your life, you can say, I lived a life worth living. Well, ain't you somebody? No, he is somebody. Who cares if they know our names or not? You could do something amazing with your life in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you go out in His name and then His word and by His power and do what He wants you to do, you'll finally be saved from this ordinary, boring, normal life. You might say, well, I want to be successful. You know how many successful people have come and gone before you got here? Name some of their names. Say, I want to be rich. You know how many rich people are buried the same depth right beside poor people? I mean, what's it all matter? Really, what does it matter? It means nothing if it's not a life with Jesus Christ. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Nothing. Unless it's following Jesus. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, I'll make you fishers of men. I will make you to become fishers of men. Well, you don't have to know how to do it. He'll make you. He'll make you to become. He'll show you how. You don't have to know anything. You don't have to know anything. You don't have to know anything. Do you know Jesus? Then you got all you need. You got everything you need. There's nothing wrong with going to a Bible college and learning about the Bible. There's nothing wrong with learning amazing doctrines about Scripture. But you can know all about that intellectually. But if you don't know Him, you don't know anything. Ain't nothing wrong with learning and getting a good Bible education, but a person better make sure if they're going to be a preacher. It's more than just intellectual knowledge. Has Jesus Christ called you to do it? Because there's been a lot of people come and go through the years. But can you follow Jesus when your life is falling apart? And can you follow Jesus when nobody else follows you? Do you know Him? Do you know Him? He'll make you to become fishers of men. There's, a, there's another amazing overriding truth here. Again, it is, is that Jesus will change your life. And often a fisherman won't catch anything, but yet they go on. And sometimes these preachers, these gospel, these, these apostles, they didn't catch anything. And you got to go even when you don't catch nothing. Jesus don't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. He don't call us to save sinners. He calls us to be faithful. He don't call us even to, if we, if we lived our whole lives and we were faithful to Jesus and we never won one soul to Jesus Christ, but yet we were faithful to the, the call of gospel in our lives and we, we died discouraged that we can say, if you're like me, I just got a few souls that maybe I won to Jesus Christ. That's not what we'll be rewarded for. You'll be rewarded 
for your faithfulness. Just keep going. We sing this hymn, don't we, that God, stand, stand in the firing line. Is that how it goes? Stand on the firing line because God cannot use a soldier that he cannot trust. Stand in the firing line. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Faithfulness. I'll make you to become fishers of men. I was thinking about these fishermen, and I'm about through. They endured a lot of storms being fishermen, and they learned a lot, but they're going to endure a lot of storms following Jesus too. But that don't mean you stop fishing just because some storms come our way. Lastly, look at verse number 18. And straightway, that's pretty fast, this, this call of Christ upon their life was so effective, this personal invitation to follow Jesus was so effective, it says straightway, they forsook their nets and followed him. You know, even in the apostles' lives, it does seem that they, Jesus lingers around home for a little while with them. And they're not too far from home, except where Peter was historically crucified in Rome. And Jesus, he don't smoke, he don't quench his smoking flax. And he's not going to, you immediately surrender to Jesus Christ. He's not going to put you on a boat to Africa. Now, you can do whatever he wants because you're confessing him as Lord. But he's tender and he's, he's patient with us. But over time and through the years, and through many sermons and many lessons and many trials and afflictions, the disciples became more bold. They became more reckless according to the world's opinion. And they became better at forsaking their nets. And they began to see what was most important in their lives. And they began to see the great need in others' lives that throughout the years they lived a life with a more abandonment for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be the testimony of Christian people. I started out doing this, but Jesus called me further. And I started out, I wanted to read the Bible through in a year, and Jesus called me further. And I was, began to have a willing heart, and Jesus called me further. And then I went on in what I thought would be unbelievable, and Jesus called me further. And further and further and further. He still yet calls, don't he? You follow after me. The call to follow him is not ended in the Christian's life after they're converted. It is a constant call, isn't it? You go a little further now. I want you to go a little bit further. I want you to come a little bit closer. And many times closer to Jesus means farther away from friends and family. It means farther away from the things we used to love. This call of Christ isn't a one-time thing. It is, a, it is a fire in the bones. It is a well of springing up to living water. And he still does it. He calls a little further, a little further. Don't he? A little bit further. And before you know it, Peter, you're in Rome preaching the gospel. Where'd you start out in Galilee? Wow, some might interview Peter if I could interview him. If I could be a, an interviewer for the Christian Gazette. Peter? Wow, you immediately went to Rome. How did that happen? He'd say, no, no, I started in Galilee. I just followed Jesus, and I was wrong about a lot of things. And then Jesus, he took me to Capernaum across the lake. And we spent some time there in Capernaum. And then he said, well, after we saw some amazing things in Capernaum, I began to have more confidence in who I was following. And I began to learn a lot and grow a lot. And then Jesus says, we got to go to Jerusalem. And we, boy, we went through some things at Jerusalem. And while I was at Jerusalem, I saw Jesus do amazing things. And I found out, you know what? I'm safe with him. I'm going to follow him. And I was there that night. He 
appeared in the upper room, and when I saw him resurrected in all his glory, I quit being afraid. You know, you mean he was a Christian and he was afraid, and then he saw the power of Christ, and his fear began to melt away? You know what he was doing, don't you? He was getting sanctified. He was growing as a Christian. Don't be discouraged. Just keep following Jesus. And he will make you to become, to become fishers of men. He'll do it. You can't. He'll do it. He'll do it. They forsook their nets and followed him. The Bible says in verse 19 that James and John, they left their dad in the boat. And they left their hired servants in verse number 20. They left their friends behind. I'm closing with this question. Have you forsook anything for Jesus Christ? Think about it. What have you given up for Jesus? Anything? A relationship? It's not, so, it's not even a conscious decision. You just can't follow Jesus and follow that person at the same time. It's not like you just said, that's it, I'm breaking up with you. It's, you just start drifting away. Has Jesus drifted you away? Think about it. If he has, and can't you say, praise God he has. I was telling a, a new friend of mine last Sunday morning about how I was already saved, but then Jesus saved me after I was already saved from some of that filthy music I used to listen to, it just began to lose its appeal. It began to lose its appeal. That's it. Drifted away. Drifted away. Have you forsaken something for Jesus Christ? You cannot... Listen, it is... It seems scripturally impossible to follow Jesus... And in that walk with Jesus Christ, never have to forsake something. That is not a Christian's testimony. It can't be that way. It can't be. Have you forsaken something for Jesus? If you haven't, then I want to encourage you tonight to follow Jesus. And come to know Him as your personal Savior. Maybe tonight, there is, you've heard it with our ears but now you know, and your heart knows, the sermon's coming to an end. And at the end of sermon, at the end of a sermon, it is the heart's response to either reject it or receive it, to embrace it or to push it away. And tonight, maybe tonight, God, the Holy Spirit, it's you. And Jesus is calling you out of the ordinary. Because your ordinary life, Jesus wants you. He wants you to be a part of his flock, to be a part of his fold. Other sheep, he said, I have that are not of this fold. I'm going to go get them. Jesus told others in another passage, I'm going to, I got people coming from the east and the west and the north and the south, and I want them to be my people. Maybe you're a young person tonight, and God, the Holy Spirit, has been talking to you. You don't know much about the Bible, but thank God you don't have to be. But you just know this, you want Jesus in your life. Hey, that's enough. He'll take you. <laughs> So I don't know much about the Bible preacher. Yeah, me neither. Because it's like the ocean. I might be waist deep in it now, but I'm beginning to realize it has no bottom. I don't know much either. I just know Jesus. <laughs> Do you want to know him? Then there's no reason why you can't know him tonight. There's no reason why. Maybe tonight you're a Christian 
and you've not been faithful in following Jesus? Listen, if, if, if it's been that way for 20 years, then, then maybe you even should start lacking the assurance that you're really knowing. I know there's backsliddenness in our lives from time to time. But if that has been the condition of your life for 35 years and you've not been following Jesus, I'm not saying that you're lost or saved, but I am saying if that was my case, then I would say I don't have much assurance that I know him. You know, maybe you do. Then if you do, you'll hear his voice and you'll respond. You'll respond. Forsake your nets and follow him. Let's stand to our feet. Page 44, page 44.